Hello and welcome to 21st Century Vitalism. This here is a podcast exploring how we can best maintain a sense of energy, inspiration, and wakefulness while dealing with the unique stressors of this very strange yet very potent time. My name's Brett. I'm going to be your host on this journey. And joining us today is an incredible guest that many of you may be familiar with. Raghu Marcus is the executive director of the Love Serve Remember Foundation, the co-founder of the Be Here Now Network, and the host of the Mind Rolling Podcast. Having spent 18 months living in India with the acclaimed teacher Ram Das and their guru, Neem Karoli Baba, Raghu has dedicated his life to pursuing the ineffable and soul-affirming work of cultivating an open heart of love and compassion. In this conversation, we explore the ever-important theme of gurus. Having connected with a wildly powerful one himself in the form of Neem Karoli Baba, Raghu helps clarify the role these beings play in our path of spiritual awakening. More than just sharing his incredible story, he also walks us through the steps we can take to connect with our own guru right in this very moment. It's a powerful conversation with some very pith instructions on how we can take the next step in our spiritual journey and really open up to a mystery far greater than we could have ever imagined. So if this conversation resonates with you, I highly encourage you to check out his amazing podcast, Mind Rolling with Raghu Marcus. Also head on over to ramdas.org for a treasure trove of courses and teachings from many of the great wisdom traditions of this world. If you want to support this show, really the best thing you can do is just implement some of the things we talk about on this platform and just grow curious to how you can be more wakeful, inspired, and energized. On a more earthy level, you could also consider signing up for the Patreon at patreon.com slash 21st century vitalism. With as little as $5 a month, you can help cover the expenses it takes to keep this train rolling and help support me as I continue to invest my time and energy into this labor of love. If you're tight on cash, no problem. You can just subscribe on YouTube, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram. If you're on YouTube, maybe consider leaving a thumbs up or a comment. Any and all interaction helps in the digital age, and I'm really trying to create a platform that reaches to as many people as possible uh, so they can maybe find something that works for them. So that's what we're going to be talking about today, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Without further ado, please sit back, drink some tea, maybe do some stretches, and most importantly, open your heart for Raghu Marcus. Agu, hello. We are now live. Uh, I just want to start by saying a very warm welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. How are you today? Great. Great to meet you, Brett. And uh, yeah, all is good. Although good. can't say that for too much of this world, can we? Yeah. Well, luckily we have the technology to come together and kind of have conversations like we'll be having today, which... I hope helps, at least, even if it's a little bit, you know. So, you know, a little bit of background of where I'm coming from and why I invited you onto the show. Uh, I want to start by just saying that I've been a longtime listener of the Be Here Now Network. Uh, I've mm. fallen asleep to Ram Dass lectures uh, far <laughs> too many times to count and woken up in the middle of the night to your Still voice, don't. as strange as that is. It's like, oh, <laughs> what's happening? <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Um, but before the Be Here Now Network, I've been plugged into Ram Dass for quite some time and largely attribute his teachings to the start of my genuine spiritual practice. And 
uh, by extension, uh, his guru, Neem Karoli Baba, who many would consider a fully awakened, liberated, spiritually being. And I know that this is a figure that you have had extensive interaction with as well. So I would love to explore uh, just what what this being was, what he meant to you, and maybe just some overall lessons that the rest of us can take. So to start off, I'm just curious about your uh, your story of how you came into this this very strange and beautiful world of bhakti and uh, Maharaji. Hmm. Same as your story. I met Ramdas, right? <laughs> and then uh, the rest is history. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a story I've told about a billion times. But I mm. I was a program director of a major rock and roll station in Montreal in my early twenties, and uh, they they called one day and asked me to uh, promote a Ramdas talk at McGill University. <coughs> Excuse me. So I'm like, Ramdas, what's that? <laughs> and he said, you know, Richard Alpert and Tim Leary. And of course, oh, wow, yeah. I loved them. And, you know, I had been into psychedelics. And uh, I said, but you must have a tape. Send it over so I can listen to, I don't have any idea of what you're, you know, what you're referring to. Or what does he do? What does he talk about? So they did. Uh, and... Uh, I just went into the studio and listened to, you know, a bunch of it, and every word was what I had been waiting to hear, you know, basically. Yeah. And there was a tremendous trust immediately in what he was saying wasn't bullshit. So then I went, I said, well, okay, where is he? I got to meet him. So I literally went out that day and met him. He was staying at a, a private home in Montreal, and he uh, opened the door. And just in, we were just a few feet apart, and you know he had these beautiful blue eyes, and he sunk into a place that wasn't Richard Alpert or Ramdas. It was like, what can I do for you? It was all about me, you know. Usually, when you meet people, it's a it's an exchange, and you know you're kind of feeling it out, and who's he, she, and all of that. So I I just. Uh, that was my first real experience with a kind of trust that I had maybe when I was a baby with my mother, but I had not experienced. And uh, that uh, was very expansive for me. I mean, at that moment, I uh, connected with a place that I... I, I later on found out I had connected in that place and didn't remember it. Some experience I had when I was like nine or ten years old, a, a deep absorption kind of thing. Uh, but in that moment, it, it was uh, profound. And I brought him to the station and we did an interview. And I actually have a picture from then. It's kind of cool. Um, and then I uh, kept in touch and I was just, we were playing, you know, alongside of Jimi Hendrix Ramdas talks and uh, John Coltrane, <laughs> uh, uh, incredible jazz uh, musician that uh, if people don't know, should check him out. He's unbelievable. It was, it was, a, I had a deep experience with him. That's a whole other story mm -hmm. uh, in, in a concert one day. And 
I later found out that Ramdas. I, I spent time with him at his father's farm. These famous uh, week, you know, week long things that he used to have with all sorts of practices, and him talking about his experience in India with Neem Karoli Baba. And I said, "Look, I I got to get over there. I got to meet." Him. He, and he wasn't supposed to say who that was, nor yeah. where they were. But a few of us really were persistent enough so that he said, well, I'm going to India in the fall. Just uh, get in touch with me through American Express. You know, that was the way we got in touch. I mean, talk about archaic uh, <laughs> instead of uh, WhatsApp. <clears throat> so I ended up getting there and being in touch with him. I, I left this incredible position at this rock and roll radio station, the PD, you know, and it was like just a divine, uh, it was divine fun. <laughs> Not to mm. mention I got well paid and, you know, there was plenty of, of smoke around and, you know, we were just having a good time. So um, finally, after a number of months, because he couldn't find Maharaji, we called him Ninkaroli Bama. Uh, finally, he knew he he got uh, word where he was, and we um, so people started moving towards getting to be with him, having no idea really what that was going to you know turn out to be. Could you stay there? We just saw him for five seconds. We had no idea about anything, but we met this family up in a place called Nainital, which was. Uh, about 45 minutes an hour from the ashram that we met Neem Karoli Baba at. And this family, this extraordinary family who one of the members became, who was Ram, the person that uh, translated for Ramdas when he first got there, that famous story of Maharaji knowing everything that happened about his mother's death from <clears throat> spleen cancer. Um, that person, K.K. Shah, became Ramdas's Indian brother and was a mentor to us and many, many Westerners over decades and decades. He, he died when Ramdas died in 2000, uh, well, a few months later, in early 2020. He, uh, yeah, he just said, I'm not going on without Ramdas. And they were that close. So, anyhow, the bottom line is I did get up there and they um, met. Krishnadas, which I'm sure you know who Krishnadas is, and many of your listeners probably do, or if you don't, go to krishnadas.com and listen to, he's like the chant guy, yeah. basically. And not just here, around, he just did an extraordinary tour in Europe and so on. Anyhow, he's, he's marvelous and, and a good friend. Um, so we went... And that first moment of meeting this being, and you say, you know, talk about, you know, who this being is and, and so on and so forth. I couldn't tell you one word about that. <laughs> if I knew that, we wouldn't be doing this podcast. I'd be in some other zone, I would imagine. I don't know. But, uh, but the things that flashed when I did meet him was, oh, shit, I know this is something I've known. Somebody, but you couldn't call it a somebody. It was more like a computer that just mm -hmm. did the right thing for people, <laughs> kind of. Wow. It's a weird thing to say, but... And, of course, I had no idea of that back then, early 70s. Um, but, uh, yeah, I knew I knew him for 
forever before, now, and after kind of a thing. And it wasn't a, it, it was not a rational thought. It was a knowing thingy, deep, you know, part of that whole thing we talked about trust and, and intuition. Um, the other thing was, I thought, oh shit, that's what Ram Das was all about. Yeah. I got the point that nothing happened. It wasn't, had nothing to do with him except he was a phenomenal translator, so to speak. Yeah. And, you know, he had all that experience in the science of psychology. And uh, he knew, I mean, he was a, he was a phenomenal talker. Yeah. And a speaker. Yeah, he was. And so he, putting all of that together uh, was uh, extraordinary. But I knew in that moment that's where this all came from, you know. Mm. And There's a part of that. Oh, sorry. No, go, go, go. Yeah, I was just going to say there's a part of that that I think is really interesting and you glossed over, but this idea of leaving kind of like your perfect dream job, something that is fun and stable, but like that idea of giving something up in order to connect with energy like this, do you think that that's an important part of the spiritual path in terms of like what motivated, like was that a hard decision for you to make? Shit, no. No. And, you know, I'm sure that there is, yes, all along the way, uh, well, the term surrendering is is not a term that we in the West really understand. And that was pointed to by this great mentor of ours, K.K. Shaw. That's a whole, like, we could do a podcast just on that, on what that truly is. But just uh, suffice to say that um, in the moment after I met Ramdas, I absolutely knew, you know, that he was speaking the truth. I totally trusted him and beyond, you know, intellect. And I was just, I'm going to get, I got to get this. I don't give a shit about my job or any, I didn't even think that. I just, okay, when are you going? September, okay. And I managed to get over there by November to wow. India after he had gotten there in September, something like that. And uh, the, the, it just wasn't even a question. Now, to me, that's part of the reality of what grace is, that, you know, gr the divine provides you with the opportunities, and it's part of your job to kind of recognize that and, uh, and allow, allow yourself to open up to it. And I did that. And I wasn't, uh, yes, it was, a, uh, no, I don't remember ever thinking, shit, I just lost the greatest job I could have ever had. I was, yeah. music was my whole life, and here I was, you know, programming a radio station. Um, so, but I never thought that way, Brett, never. Oh. It was, which the grace was, you know, that part deep inside me, if you want, whatever you want to call it, Buddha mind, soul, you know, intuitive connection to to truth and my karmic my destiny and all of that you can call it all of that but i just i had to meet this being period yeah yeah i feel like a lot of people who listen to stories like this and listen to ramdas lectures really want to experience something like that they want to connect with beings like this but there's a lot of fear around that kind of like unclenching of the hand and to be able to accept grace. You know, I know mm, that's a, that's a yeah. whole conversation, but yeah. you know, it seemed like it wasn't that much of a challenge for you to just immediately, yes. Is that usually how it unfolds for the people who are kind of like ripe for it? Is it like a karmic situation? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, ripe is a good 
good way to put it. And you know, and then people say, "Well, you all met this, you know, uh, enlightened being, and we didn't." And you know, we get that a lot. We have all these retreats and you know, online stuff and everything we do. Reality is, obviously, there was some wonderful karmic propensity for those. And we're talking about Westerners, a few hundred Westerners met this being. And you think of, you know, the gurus that come over here today, or even that maybe even don't get out of India. I mean, millions, tens of thousands, I mean, is is the norm, you know. Uh, so that that was sort of extraordinary. Uh, but But the reality is we... I feel like we needed to be hit over the head with a hammer. <laughs> Basically, you know, what he did, he broke the mind. As soon as you sat down, you, you could not fathom that somebody's inside you the way this being was inside us, knowing everything. I mean, you could not, so you, stop, you had to stop trying to figure it out. And most of us did that, although... Plenty of times when the mind just took over and, uh, you know, we became, you know, sort of depressed <laughs> hippies is what we became. Oh, God. Um, but uh, bottom line, that was, that was a big part of it. Now, uh, well, first of all, he, he himself said, a guru, true guru has nothing to do with a body. It's not about a body. And he proved that. Uh, prove it, meaning that you know people continue to this second have direct experiences with this being, one way or the other. And there's a whole book that's uh, in you know um, Ramdas.org shop uh, that uh, that tells the story of many Westerners, in particular, who have had uh, this uh, these encounters that are. Ex- just as I say, very extraordinary. Uh, so he did. That's not necessary. We didn't know that then. I mean, we were really young and naive. Uh, but we have experience. I mean, I can't tell you how. Especially doing what I do as a director of the foundation, I just get so many different messages from people in terms of their connecting uh, with him. It's called, this book's called, by the way, if you want to get it, Whisper in the Heart, The Ongoing Presence of Neem Karoli Baba. It's a great book. Mm -hmm. And then there's another by uh, this, uh, the same author, Parvati Marcus, actually, uh, mother of my children. Uh, she also wrote Love Everyone, which is all of our stories going to India and meeting Neem Karoli Baba and all the different ways where we came from and what happened and, you know, what, what some of us ended up doing post all of that. Yeah. Worth getting uh, in terms of really understanding Western point of view. Yeah. You know, I've uh, talked with my teacher a little bit, uh, who is David Nickturn. I know he's a part of your network as well. And obviously Friend. his teacher was, yeah, yeah. Great, great human. Yeah. Uh, but we, we have talked about the idea of the guru principle as being something that's imminent just in your relationship to the external world, like the, the communication that's happening there. For people who might not ever have access to an external guru, is there anything that you would suggest for people to kind of cultivate that kind of intuitive sense within themselves? 
Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt that any of us that are listening or those of us that are you and I talking, we have all had an ineffable experience that you can't explain out in your mind. It could be through a dream, through a book, through music, kirtan, meditate, whatever. There's a billion different ways that these psychedelics, obviously being a major one, I mean, we still, every week, get, I just, I had a psilocybin trip, someone gave me be here now, you know, I mean, the same thing pretty much that happened to us, except be here now wasn't quite out when we first met Ram Dass, but we met him, it was the same damn thing, so when you have that, it's ineffable experience, so you, the idea is to just nourish that, nurture it, in terms of opening, you know, you look for other ways to do the kind of practices that open one up to that uh, experience of complete expansion and spaciousness and compassion and love and all, all of the, um, you know, bywords in the spiritual path. But they're, you know, they're real. And uh, so once you have this motivation, you start to open up to other ways in which to connect with the divine presence, which is the guru, which is Christ, which is Buddha, which is Muhammad, whoever. Everyone's got a favorite one of these characters, right? And they're all... There, well, Maharaji, I sat down. The first thing he he did to the what five or six Westerners that were sitting there. Sub ek, in Hindi means all one. There's only one, one. Krishna, Muhammad, Christ, Hanuman, Ram, one. So we got it right off the bat that it didn't matter, you know who. I mean, and many people have different predilections for uh, a more rigorous intellectual thing, you know, the, in non-dualism, some Buddhism, some bhakti yoga, some Sufi, which is a very bhakti practice. Um, so it's beautiful that we have all of these possibilities. So you, you get that trust and intuition jump-started by uh, allowing... You know, don't put down the ineffable experience that you may have had in any situation from dreams to this plane of consciousness and then allow that to propel you to nurture that place that's inside all of us mm, that's wonderful you know I, I recognize within every one of these systems um pretty much bar none service ends up being emphasized so strongly and especially in the bhakti path and karma yoga and mm. the mahayana of buddhism so what is it uh, from your perspective and your experience about service that opens one up to kind of create more um, charge for these ineffable experiences? Well, the, I think it was, the, yeah, the Dalai Lama talked about uh, selfish generosity i think something like that and but really meaning you do this kind of you're reaching out to people right with compassion you want you're just motivated that way um 
But the reality is, it's a two-way street. Yes, you are going to hopefully help people. At the same time, you're helping yourself. By the very fact that you reach out, as soon as you do that, we all know this. I mean, you could be walking across a street thinking, my life is just so full of shit. I don't know what to do. You have, you know, dark thoughts. And you get to the other side where somebody's struggling. They fell down or something with packages, an older person, whatever it may be. You natural inclination is to reach out. And as soon as you do that, helping them pick the pack, whatever you're doing, you're stop. You are not thinking about what a shit life you supposedly have. You're not having those dark thoughts. So that is, it's a two-way street, you know. And uh, Ramdas in this film we did called "Becoming Nobody," which is really, really quite good for people. It really encompasses all of his teachings. But at one point he said, when is it when, when what I want is enough? When is it what, when I need is enough? It's much more interesting to serve. You know, something like that. In the, you know, I love that part of the film. Because it, it just supports the reality of getting out of one's self. Uh, me, me, self, you know. Um, I'm, I'm working on a, an audio book with my friend Duncan Trussell, it's, and we've been working on it for years and using ourselves as uh, neurotic conditions that support the me, me, wake up, uh, Krishnas' thing. The movie of me, so it's called From the Movie of Me to the Movie of We. Um, oh. And uh, that's very much a part of it, um, in fact, the, we end the, the book with uh, something from Ramdas about exactly this, you know, around generosity and service is the transformational route to uh, a whole being. Yeah, something about the generosity and service that really strikes me is that it kind of requires you to develop a sense of clarity to see a situation fully. So I know that there's a lot of situations where we go to help somebody from a perspective that might be limited or biased, and then we end up making the situation worse. Yeah. So then you get that feedback of like, oh, there's something that I'm not seeing here. And just the fact that that initiates like a spark of inquiry and curiosity mm. and really asks you to go beyond where you yeah. are in your normal habits. Yeah, exactly. Well, David's teacher, Chogim Trumpa Rinpoche, called it idiot compassion. Yeah. You're doing it all for the wrong reasons or mostly around self-serving reasons. Yeah, and you're you're causing the exact opposite of what you you think you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, so yeah, an issue. Yeah, yeah. So, is there any way for people who might not have this is something I'm fascinated by who like know that they're not the most compassionate people but want to be better? They just like they're just like, dang, like where do I even start in this? Where I know everything that I do is probably going to end up in just mucking things up a little bit more. Is it like what would you say is like the ground path of that? Like where do they stand up to actually start building kind of good virtue and good intention? Get to know yourself a little bit better using mm. the kind of practices that allow one to go inside and really um, 
be mindful of all the kinds of motivations. But what, what you're describing is someone who's sitting there judging every second, uh, you know, how, how bad I am. And we all do that, you know. It's uh, part of being human, I guess. But basically, mindfulness practice, you know. You, you really want to have a larger purview on what it is, how you use your self-motivations and selfishness, and the Buddhists have a great term for it, self-cherishing, me, me, me. Mm -hmm. And you get to see that, but you don't judge it. You do what Ramdas said, you get out of the mind story that we, the I that we operate from on a day-to-day, which is useful, by the way, you can't operate without it, but at the same time, you have enough spaciousness behind it so that you're not caught in it and you're not judging the fact that you feel like you're a shithead. You know, you're not judging the thought that made you feel like that. And then you are, a, 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 um, you get that awareness that you're talking about. It starts to slowly come, but it doesn't come without uh, a real practice. And it, yeah. that can be anything. I mean, meditation is very, the efficacy of meditation is well proven. Mm-hmm. And to unravel that onion skin, the onion skins that we have pretty thick uh, onion, onions in us. Uh, but uh, yeah, without that, then you're just like spinning wheels because you're not actually... Well, maybe the ineffable experience wasn't enough to go, wow, you know, I on one level, of course, I want to reconnect with that experience, so I'm going to open up to more of the things that, you know, maybe I like chanting, I'm going to go to, you know, chant with Krishnadas or something, you know, and open up that, in a, that heart space, which is deep, deeply where this ineffable experience lies. And, uh, but um, it can be anything. It just has to be regular on a day-to-day basis that you spend some time away from the uh, I and into Ram Dass's loving awareness in the yeah. center of one's chest. Yeah, yeah. I know um, for a lot of people, because uh, I, I teach meditation every now and again, and mm. uh, the judgment is like one of the first obstacles I think a lot of people hit. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll sit for just a couple of times and like, wow, my mind is absolutely wild. And I'm thinking a lot of thoughts that I actually make me very unhappy. And then they start to create like a, a, a loop of negative feedback with that. Mm. So do you have any suggestions for like, it sounds really nice to just love yourself and to be more accommodating, um, but to really learn how to meet that difficulty, that tension with a sense of ease, because it can be really scary. <laughs> practice, it, it's all about practice. It just doesn't happen. Go do one of David Nickturn's meditation courses, right? Yeah. Start Or anybody's. Basically, I'm a big fan of Vipassana, insight meditation, which Jack Kornfield and Sharon Salzberg and Joseph Goldstein brought back to this country, and it's something we practiced back in the day when we were with Neem Karoli Baba. We would go to these uh, extensive uh, 10-day courses. And that became a real um, 
solid seat for many of us back then, and now many people in this country um, that they've introduced to this insight practice using the breath. It's very simple. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you, you, without that, you aren't going to get that handle that you want on reacting to every damn thought and story in your head. So it really yeah. goes back to that. And uh, you get sick of yourself enough so that you, you do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there is. I know for me, there was definitely a little bit of a war of attrition where it really just took getting absolutely sick of my patterns, which takes just like a lot mm. of time for me because mm. they could be really juicy. They could be really fulfilling. Yeah. But it definitely got to the point where like, I've been doing this specific thing for two years probably longer and you you like get that but then there is that sense of humor that has to be with it too which i I love about working with teachers because most of the time they show you how to laugh at the things that are coming up rather than catastrophizing them yeah 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 there's a uh we're doing a retreat actually at the at the end of august in boone north carolina and one of the presenters teachers is a a lama named Lama Tsultram Alioni. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know her. She's amazing. Yeah. And she wrote a book, Feeding the Demons, which exactly addresses what we're talking about. Yeah, It's a way of... Uh, Ramdas said it a different way. When he first came back from India, um, he said, you know, you have these dark thoughts, demonic bullshit. You just invite them into the room and offer them a cup of tea. So making friends rather than pushing away or running away is a basic concept and and the tibetans have some great practices around that you know yeah. and uh yeah another great book yeah she had a really amazing presentation of the five wisdom energies too i think mm. it was wisdom rising was the book title yeah of the dakini energies i didn't yeah. realize that she was plugged into the um the be here now the Love Server member. Oh, she's foundation. old, old friend of ours and Ramdas, and we knew her in India. She was oh. a nun back then. Yeah, she. Amazing. She, I mean, her guru is. Uh, I mean, she loves Maharaji, and I never met him, but knows, of course, through through all of us. But uh, Karmapa, sixteenth. Mm-hmm. was pretty much, I mean, I met him and had his darshan in Los Angeles just a year or two before he died. And uh, when I got near him, when they, he, every one of us got up to be able to meet him personally and he with a silk scarf, kata, and he put that on. Anyhow, when I got six feet away from him, I was like, or more, holy shit, this is the same as Neem Karoli, Maharaji, same. Yeah. A can't ineffable thingy, you know, yeah, spacious. Yeah. Suddenly, you know, transported. There was no space and time, and this. There is only one of these things. <laughs> they manifest, yeah. and they all have, you know, their own um, soul pot, as Ramdas used to call it. Love that. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing with these figures. As somebody who's been kind of dipping my toes in a lot of different streams, and you know, you said the Karmapa the sixteenth, and I immediately had kind of a, a sense of that being in my mind stream. And the same thing with Maharaji or Chogyam to a degree where it's, 
you can feel their power just by saying their names if you've spent any time in these fields. And there's something about that that reminds me of that internal guru principle of just like the fact that they're even in your awareness at all is kind of an invitation to me. Yeah, there you go. That's right on. Absolutely. You know, and that's why people should um, be open to what the possibilities are instead of, you know, we all have a very cynical thing and doubt and, you know, it's natural human stuff. But, you know, again, the more that you can sort of place yourself, as Ramdas says, you know, in that non-judgmental spiritual heart and look at the world from there rather than from the, you know, the I, judgmental I, things really open up and, and uh, yeah, there's you. Be, it's a different world when you yeah. see things through that lens. Yeah, and that's I think what was really powerful about Ramdas for me—the fact that he was so eloquent. I was pretty young when I kind of came across his work, but the way he organized his thoughts was just so intelligent mm. and clear. Mm. And it took me coming into contact with a speaker like that to even soften my kind of scientific, atheistic edges. Because, I mean, I think a lot of people who are very unplugged from this world, they immediately think of religion in a very cut-and-dry way because of their experiences with maybe their church growing up, and it was just very stale and sticky and not at all what we're pointing to, which is this very real, expansive kind of quality. So it's like unless you get like a little taste of it, it's so easy to put it behind the word religion and to never actually feel Mm -hmm. into the depth of the truth of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we were in this, I mean, I grew up, uh, I'm Jewish and I grew up in a conservative atmosphere. Like, you know, I was dragged to all of the high holidays and all of that kind of stuff and went to a, a school that I was taught half in Hebrew and half in English parochial. I mean, it was, uh, Anyhow, it was tough circumstances for me, and uh, I, as a result, rebelled gigantically when I became a teenager, and, uh, you know, I had nothing to do with Western, you know, monotheistic, you know, religion. So I'm like everybody else, you know, we, the only difference is that when I went over and met this being was A, psychedelics helped because that gave you the idea of, uh, you know, going beyond mind, just start there, interconnectivity, you know, the ineffable wow, you know, the awe, the wonder of it. Yeah. So seeing him was the same thing, you know. It was definitely like an acid trip, meeting him. Uh <clears throat> So, I just think that people should, we should all relax a little bit, because the reality of what that is, the the true guru, which is almost, you know, that's uh, like one of the guru, yeah, you're the guru, the dry cleaner guru of our town (laughs) is so-and-so, you know, I mean, all these words have really become... Uh, difficult to carry the real essence of the meeting, 
You know, that's just a reality for us. But that, again, I go back to what we first started talking about, trust and intuition. You're developing that trust because something happened that showed you the way. You know, for me at that time, you know, of course, psychedelics, but then the trust of this human who I really believe was telling me the truth, Ramdas, And he was. And so put those things together and I was able to to really make that my number one priority. It wasn't about being at a radio station, it wasn't about getting married, it wasn't that was it. All of those things happened and I had a career after and I got married and I had children and all of it and fought against all of the uh, the the some things that I thought weren't my destiny. But we do have a real path and uh, what the more that you sort of um, I won't use the word surrender it's too big a word and it's it's got all the connotations that we in the West hate and Mm -hmm. you know but I will use uh, there is a definitive way in which the divine presence who manifests itself in so many different ways lead you to understand and follow that path. And that's been a huge thing. It's what I've done my entire life. Uh, and uh, I, I can't even think, Brett, of a, of a way in which without that understanding of the guide, now I had I hit, got hit over the head with the hammer and got my mind shattered and all that, but I see people since then, and it's 50 years actually, since uh, Neem Karoli Baba left his body actually in September, and I have seen it in real technicolor that it doesn't matter that I and these other people met him physically or not. Absolutely doesn't. So that leads me to believe on all of the different planes that all of the enlightened beings from Christ to Buddha to whoever uh, and are uh, allow them to do the work yeah. and and just sort of put aside the cynical you know and the uh, the doubt they're all they're going to be there you'll pick them up whenever you want they're not going anywhere but for a moment you can put them aside and just relax into a little bit of trust that we are being taken care of. Yeah, I love that. It's it's interesting because as we're talking about it, it really is just like such a hairline choice to make. Even if you're not like fully committed to it, just to give it even just like you crack the door open an inch and like that energy will open it a couple feet, <laughs> you know? So it's really, exactly. it's just, it's so imminent. It's so close. And uh, yeah, yeah just, we, we invest so much energy. I think a lot of really cynical people like myself included, you know, I grew up in a non-denominational Christian household. It was pretty mm. chill, but I was always really turned off by it. So again, like you, I also rebelled. And what I think a lot of people don't understand is when you rebel and when you become like a staunch atheist or you invest a lot of energy in that thing not being real you're still dancing with that thing. You're still giving a lot of energy. And if you just let go even a little bit, just that little bit of space will be filled with that thing. (laughs) You know, but we we just ball up into a big old knot 
and yeah. it's kind of uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, you get sick of it too, right? You get sick yeah. of it and you just allow a moment. That's why psychedelics, I mean, I'm not sitting here to be a proponent. Everybody get out there. Trust me, I am. <laughs> <laughs> but the truth is, you know, with the work MAPS is doing to, to show the efficacy of, of psychedelics with uh, PTSD as therapy and death and addiction, I mean, is real. I mean, these are substances that, thank God, it, it looks like they're turning the government around to allow them to be. And, of course, they are... You know, there are places like Colorado and Portland, Oregon, that uh, that allow this kind of uh, therapy to go on. So it's real that, that they help. Now, um, just popping it and going over to the local Dead concert uh, is fun, but it, you know, it's maybe not going to open all of the doors that you might think would be wonderful to have open by virtue of using Leary and Alpert's thing of set and setting would be yeah. maybe more of the um, more profoundly productive, I would say. Yeah. So those are the kinds of things that make, uh, make a difference. And, and it doesn't have to be a psychedelic. We have, again, many, many ineffable experiences from one time, you know, from something that we didn't expect was going to happen by just walking into a place and a, and a teacher says a few words. They, they, teachers are not enlightened, but they hopefully some can point the way, and you get pointed, you know. You just become open to all of the possibilities, and eventually something does come around which you feel so compelled by in terms of how it opens you up that you gravitate towards that particular teaching like you've done with uh, David Nickturn, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I think back to like the very start, you know, and it, it really was probably be here now. I mean, I really enjoyed Alan Watts, but it never gripped me <laughs> in the way. And then this really auspicious blue book just kind of lands in my mm -hmm. lap. And also with psychedelics being a part of that too, which I found to be a really effective dissolving agent for that knot that I was building of all my... Yeah. aggravation and resentment so yeah. uh, those two things coming together in that way felt very auspicious as well mm. oh uh, i can't miss this opportunity because you mentioned alan watts but uh, we are doing uh, through love serve remember we're doing a an online course with alan watts and ramdas four weeks oh, of amazing. specially curated uh, talks from them addressing various uh, subjects include including love and transformation and uh it's called being in the way the dharma of alan watts and ramdas it'll That's start beautiful. in october yeah just go to uh here's my ad for you yeah, go to ramdas.org and put your email address in and you'll get a notification as to when it's happening and how to join it that's great yeah Thank you for putting that together. Um, and I know we are running short on time. That kind of feels like a natural bookend to me. Uh, so, yeah, thank you so much, Raghu, for sharing some of your insight with us and just sure. coming to tell some stories. It's really cool for me to be able to interact with people who were there on the ground floor when so much <laughs> of these teachings were coming to the West. 
you know, you had a generation that was very influential and really carrying a very large torch. So mm. from my generation to yours, thank you so much. And by the way, the word. yeah, thank you. Uh, when you say teachings, it's interesting. We There was no teachings. I mean, mm. Maharaji, Neem Karoli, he never... He never spoke, he never gave talks, he never wrote a book, he never did anything. He said, sit around and throw fruit at us, basically. <laughs> and and had the, you know, it seemed to have a, a lot of fun with these, you know, young Western hippie. We hippies is not quite the right. I'd say that in fun. Yes, we all had that going on for the most part, but we also some, you know, some very serious people who were the Dr. Larry Brilliant, who helped cure smallpox at Maharaji, put him up wow. to that. And Danny Goldman, who's become very close to the Dalai Lama and in getting into psychology and wrote a book. I, every time I think of this man's name, and he's a friend, Danny, he wrote a book called Emotional Intelligence. So now you ask in this podcast what it is people can do when they realize they're out of sorts right and not really connected with behind the mind stuff and the stories we tell ourselves okay a lot of what we have going that is uh, unfortunate shall we say is being very uh, unintelligent emotionally would you say mm. i mean just yeah. think of everybody and all your interactions and the way you or sometimes you i don't mean you i mean us respond to people mm. in situations so it's a great book, Emotional Intelligence, Danny Goleman. That's another plug uh, yeah, for sure. That's considered a classic at this point, right? I feel like yeah, I've yeah, heard of very that. Much. Yeah, that is yeah. a really interesting point, too, to touch on. Is, uh, you know, I know I talk to my, my family and other people who are in their kind of social situation, and yeah, the lack of emotional intelligence is it's stifling. It's really quite something and i think about how much time was spent not understanding the emotions and how much karmic situation that that's created and yeah it's like oh that's what we all inherit too and yeah just the clarifying yeah, yeah. nature yeah and so these people those of us that were there and came back and all had you know definitive offerings for the many of us uh writers and doing what i do and krishna das you know all of it uh, but there was no teachings. There was, yes, there's only one thing going on. That's Sabek, you know, uh, that's, yeah. and he would, of course, there's many different aphorisms that are associated with him. Some of them are a little like Maharaji never said that because that's coming through an Indian mind. He never rationally, you know, would say something like that. Um, you know, he said things like, uh, love is more powerful than electricity. Wow. wow <laughs> okay. that's I remember good. him saying that to us. And uh, no, it was basically, it, if when I look back, aside from, yes, there was these little things he'd suddenly say, it was just a fun fest, is what wow. that was. Aside from the fact of seeing my mind and getting depressed and holy shit, I'm having these thoughts in the middle of somebody like this. Oh my God, I yeah. shoot myself. So it's interesting, though, that. All of what came back was not based in any talks and books or you know anything yeah. except love, unconditional wow. love. 
That's amazing. It's so interesting hearing your reports of that and then studying with David and hearing about Chokium Trumpa, just like the different approaches and the different karmic yeah. activity happening there and then bringing people into a very similar kind of state. And yet there was just just great bedfellows in terms of the two communities. It's really auspicious and really fascinating to me. Yeah, we're still doing, you know, stuff. We just did some stuff with Naropa mm -hmm. um, at the big psychedelic science conference in Denver about a month ago or so. And uh, yeah, so that continues, which is delightful. And, uh, yeah. And David will be with us uh, at our retreat in Boone at the in a couple of weeks at the end of August. So wow. yeah, no, it's very very fortunate. And and what really, aside from the fact Maharaji did not do anything official in terms of teachings and and written down anything, well, you know what he did write, Ram 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 Ram. He had a book he would write Rams in, and constantly he'd use his fingers Ram 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 as a mala instead of this mm -hmm. kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but uh, aside, aside from that, just, it, it just, uh, really the, the reality, uh, it, the, the probably uh, most pointed thing that represents this legacy is Ramdas is a story. Ramdas said to Neem Karoli Baba, so how do I, how do I raise Kundalini? Because all he'd been hearing about is all these gurus and teachers giving their students incredible, powerful power mantras to be able to jump into the stream and of consciousness of you know all this stuff. So Maharaji said, "Feed people," and Ramdas in his head went, "Feed people? That's crazy. What do you mean feed people? I need a something." So he put it another way. Well, how can I get enlightened? You know, I don't even know if that was it. But there was two different things. And then Maharaji said, love everyone. And he gave up. And basically, <laughs> we now have what's the only real central thing that Maharaji gave us. Love everyone, serve everyone, and remember the divine. That's it. Wow. That's all he did. But out of that, uh, really... It was a combination, and this is me personal. To me, it's a com, and we do this. You know, we've been doing these retreats all over, and most a lot in Maui when Ramdas was there, um, and they'd all have Buddhist teachers, and David and Jack, Sharon, Joseph, you know, all of them, and it was really a combination of of opening up through the heart, but alongside of it was the Buddhist discriminating wisdom was there you know so that combo and we've all stayed in touch not all but m many of us most of us i would say have some connectivity to buddhist uh practice um maybe it's just through books or something maybe it's through meditation and so on but that combination to me is really solid and we continue it as as we uh continue to offer all of the courses and retreats and books and music and everything else we do. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I just want to finish this by saying that I think it's amazing that that's what he left you with. It was just three very short, pithy instructions. And yet his presence has had shockwaves yeah. throughout the entire Western world Yeah, just amazing. as a testament, you know, the power yeah. of just very few words yeah. There's something, even just about that, that is, 
Uh, I think in essence, (laughs) what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, really. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. Absolutely. Well, uh, yeah, we are uh, at that time. So yes. Oh, right. Yeah. I forgot. I got to go. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for this, Brett. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much, Raghu. Where can people find you and how can they best support you in your work? Um, well, certainly get on ramdas.org mailing list so that you get all of the uh, announcements about what we do, newsletters and everything else. Because, we, you know, this Alan Watts Ramdas course is phenomenal, okay, just to get two completely different points of view about how to go up the mountain, right? Uh, and then beherenownetwork.com is the podcast network, and my podcast is Mind Rolling, and check it out. Because uh, I talk to a lot of uh, very, very wonderful uh, thought leaders and teachers and philosophers and environmentalists. I mean, just some uh, great, great, uh, I'm fortunate to really be able to talk to some wonderful people who have a lot to offer to our world. So, yeah, those, those are the ways. You uh, Definitely. Wonderful. All right, Raghu, we'll catch you next time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Ben. All right, everybody, thank you so much for listening all the way through until the end. That was the one and only Raghu Marcus. If you want to stay plugged in to what he has going on, consider checking out his podcast, Mind Rolling, wherever you find your podcast, or head on over to ramdas.org, R-A-M-D-A-S-S.org, for a plethora of teachings and videos and courses uh, that you can get lost in for a long time, like myself. If you want to support this show, head on over to patreon.com slash 21st Century Vitalism. For five bucks a month, you can help me keep the lights on. If you don't have any spare cash, that's cool too. Just head on over to YouTube, subscribe, like, comment, follows on instagram likes on facebook we all exist in 2023 we know the deal thank you again from the bottom of my heart everybody i will see you next time i'm